it's great to see everybody. Thank you for being here. And you know what? Uh, I want to say a welcome to all of our online family that's joining us right now. We're grateful that you're able to be a part of the conversation. Special shout out to everyone who's in the family room tuning in. We're grateful for you. And if it's your first time here at Eden, we are uh, honored that you would take a step to bay in a place like this. Very, very grateful. Uh, for that. And I uh, just want to say, uh, it is so good to be back. We've been out for a few weeks, and then I was sick for another week, and then last week uh, I wasn't speaking. But um, I just want to say how much of a blessing it is to be a part of a community like this, because uh, they say uh, distance either makes the heart go wander, or it makes the heart grow fonder. And I'm glad to say that uh, while we were away, we definitely missed uh, being a part of the crew here. And, uh, and I just think that it's such a beneficial thing for a few reasons. Number one, I think uh, for us as a church culture and a community, it is so important that we hear the collective voice of God from God's people, not just one perspective or from one person. And someone, a pastor of mine a long time ago said, he said, Daniel, I'm flawed. God's word is not. Listen to it, not me. And if I happen to say what God's word says, then uh, go ahead and run with that. And I just think that that is a valuable perspective to have. And uh, I think over the last few weeks, we've been able to hear from several different people who make up this community and then a few people from outside of our church who have shared. And it's been such a blessing to me, and I hope it was a blessing to you. The second thing is that um, it was really a a helpful reset for my family and I. And um, I have always prayed and hoped that I would be in ministry for the long haul, that I would sort of retire as a pastor. But the reality is that not, not everyone who starts in ministry ends in ministry. And I had another mentor of mine a few years ago said, Daniel, if you want to last in the game, you got to create ry- rhythms of rest. And so uh, it was such a blessing for us to reset. And the truth is, is that uh, as I reflect back on maybe the last few months before we had a chance to go on vacation, if it kind of felt like you were trying to uh, squeeze water from a dry sponge. Anyone ever done that? And I think that that sometimes just happens as you're kind of in the day-to-day rhythms of life. And so it was just uh, such a blessing to me. So I just wanted all this just to say thank you uh, to those of you who who made sure that the church was still thriving and growing and uh, that uh, all you volunteers who who made it happen every week, I just feel so grateful for you. So just want to take a moment to say thank you. And, uh, but I'm excited to be back. And today we're launching a brand new series And if you're new with us, uh, you're probably uh, maybe wondering the question, what is a series? And so for us, a series is just a collection of talks. We spread it out over several weeks, and we'll focus on a theme, a topic, or a passage from Scripture. And, And part of the reason why we do that is because we realize that it's important to look at something from different angles. And so we do that over the course of several weeks. And the hope is that it would prepare us to begin applying those things to our lives. Because you know, like I know... That, uh, that understanding is one level of knowledge, but it, it enters into a whole other phase of experience when we actually trust the principle enough to actually apply what we're learning to our everyday lives. And so we make that part of the rhythm of our conversations every week is how are we applying that uh, to our life. And, uh, and so I'm excited. We're going to start a brand new series that we are calling People of Promise. People of Promise. Uh, I feel like that was a good title. We almost called it People of Purpose. And so actually we may switch it up uh, each week as we're going through whatever seems to apply best. But I would imagine that probably most of us at some point in our life have made a promise to someone else. And if you have made a promise, chances are you sort of understand the significance and the weight 
that it, that it carries to make a promise. The dictionary says that a promise is when you make a declaration that you, uh, a declaration of commitment to something you intend to carry out. A few weeks ago, uh, I had the opportunity to be a part of a wedding and it was so beautiful. It was like set in this like really gorgeous environment. There were like rolling hills all around it. It was absolutely gorgeous. And there were wonderful people who attended the wedding. They were traveling from uh, all over the country. I think there may have even been a few folks that had traveled internationally. And uh, it was such a beautiful time. And as I thought about like what was sort of the centerpiece of this entire experience, it wasn't, it wasn't the people. Uh, it wasn't even the, the food. Uh, the dancing honestly was impressive, but it wasn't even the dancing. The centerpiece of this entire experience was the promise that the bride and groom made to one another. And that kind of tells us the power of a promise to someone. And we understand it because all of us have probably at some point banked our lives on a promise. We have scheduled our lives around a promise. We have ordered our priorities around a promise. And so this tells us that promises are extremely powerful. And this is something that maybe you know and, and maybe you don't. But did you know that the Bible is full of promises about your life? The, the Bible is full of promises about your destiny. We can look at any part of the Bible and we'll find promises about who you are. If we were to go to the very beginning, beginning in Genesis chapter two, we see that God is telling Adam and Eve that you're gonna be fruitful and multiply. A few chapters later, he tells Noah the same thing. You're gonna be fruitful and multiply. A few chapters after that, he's talking to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He says, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. I'm gonna bless you and multiply you. I am gonna make your name famous. A few chapters after that, a few books after that, we see in Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, he says, I have plans, good plans that I have prepared for you. I plan to bless you. I have a future for you. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, I'm gonna empower you. In the gospel accounts, Jesus said that I will always be with you. And so the point of this is that we can look all throughout scripture, in every generation, in every season, and we can see that if you are linked up in a relationship with God, if you are part of God's family, if you have been walking with God, then in every generation, he has made a promise about your future. And that is true for us today that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. He has promises that he has laid out. He has a vision for your life, but this is the problem. And that is that if even though we are people of promise, there are probably a lot of us in the room today that do not live that way. And I thought if I was an enemy of God, one of the greatest things that I could do as a plan of attack against his people would be to make sure that they do not read their Bible. Because all throughout the Bible is full of promises. And if I can keep people from the Bible, I can keep them from their promises. And that may be true of a lot of us. And if we were to do like a statistical analysis of all the people in the world who identify themselves as followers of Jesus, chances are the vast majority of people who identify themselves as followers of Jesus don't have this like regular rhythm of uh, engaging in God's word. And so it's not surprising that even though we may identify as followers of Jesus, many of us who the Bible promises can live lives full of power, we feel fearful and timid. It's probably not surprising that 
even though most of us probably desire to have like this unshakable peace that exists in every circumstance, most of us probably experience anxiety on a regular basis. Instead of feeling hopeful, maybe you feel discouraged. Instead of being near to God, oftentimes in your life you feel far from God. And this is maybe the point of the entire series is that that is never the way that it was intended to be. That we do not serve a God of fear or of timidity or of anxiety, but we serve a God who is full of power and strength and confidence. And he always intended for his attributes to be true of his people. And so over the next few weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a few promises and a few principles so that if anxiety or fear or worry or insecurities would be like this regular characteristic of your life, we can begin to grab hold and become the people who God always believed that we can be. And I don't know about you, but I feel like this is the right season of life for that. We're wrapping up summer, we're heading into a new season, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I just feel tired of settling. Settling for an old type of life. Settling back into old habits, defaulting back into old patterns. And so I hope our prayer for this series, my prayer for this series, is that we would begin to step into some courage by stepping into some promises. Does that sound good? All right, that sounds good. Okay, so to do that, we're going to begin in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the first half of the Bible. And it's the part of the Bible that talks about the origin of humanity and the beginning of what many people refer to as God's people, the Israelites. And the Israelites were God's chosen people who were chosen to spread God's message all throughout the world. And we're going to begin by looking at uh, the story of a guy named Hosea. And Hosea is what we would refer to as a prophet. The word prophet literally means mouthpiece of God. And so he would get messages from God and he would relay them to the people of God. And he lived during the 8th century. He was part of the northern tribe of Israel. And, uh, and he was living during a really interesting time. His career aligned with the reign of a guy named Jeroboam II. And Jeroboam II was the worst, by far the worst king in the history of Israel. He was a liar, he was deceitful, he was vicious, and he cared nothing uh, about the people except for his own personal agenda. And uh, a few of us had the opportunity this week to go to a leadership conference, and it was really helpful. But the tagline of the leadership conference was, when the leader gets better, everyone else gets better. And that was a great tagline. I actually think that's true. But I also think, conversely, it is true that when the leader is evil, everyone else becomes evil too. And we see that happening with the people of Israel. And so this was the context in which Hosea was serving. And uh, I don't know about you, but there are a few things in my life that I do not want a testimony around. Okay, like there are certain circumstances in life where I just want to trust that God knows what he's talking about and I don't, and that's not my normal pattern of life. I usually am hard-headed and have to learn the hard way, but there are a few scenarios in my life where I don't, I just trust God and I don't want to experience that. Well, when I look at Hosea's life, he, he had a really interesting assignment because Hosea's life was meant to be a picture of God's relationship with the people of Israel. And you're like, okay, that's cool so far, but this was the deal. Hosea, part of his ministry 
as this symbolism for his life and the relationship, uh, he married a a lady named Gomer. And uh, in our modern context, we might uh, refer to Gomer as having a past in the sex trade industry. Uh, In previous generations, you might refer to it as prostitution. Uh, Whatever it is, Hosea married this woman named Gomer. And it was, at first, we think based on the information that we have, it was a pretty wonderful experience. He was committed to her. He loved her. And, uh, and, and as far as we can tell, they were sort of following the pattern of an everyday marriage. They had three children, and maybe they bought a house with a picket fence. Who knows? But at some point in their marriage, Gomer began to go back to old patterns of life, and we're told that she was unfaithful to him. And their, their marriage remember, was meant to be a picture of God's relationship with Israel. And so in the same way that Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea, Israel in this season had been unfaithful to God. And this seems maybe perhaps to some of us like common knowledge, but if we begin to kind of press in to what that would have meant for the people of Israel, it would have been this extremely heartbreaking uh, realization for this community of people because part of the culture of this people is that they would pass down stories from generation to generation. A grandfather would tell his children and his grandchildren about all the faithfulness that God had demonstrated in the life of these people throughout the course of their history. They would tell stories about how God saved them by parting the sea and rescued them from the armies of Egypt. And how he preserved their life and he preserved the family of Noah to continue humanity. And there were like stories after stories where they would talk about how faithful God was to these people, generation after generation. And when we look at their life, they had every opportunity to succeed. And yet they continued to go back to sources of slavery, spiritual slavery in their lives instead of seeking out God. And so today we're going to pick up in the last chapter of the book of Hosea, chapter 14. And we're going to uh, read God's response to his people. And this is what it says, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. It says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord and say to him, forgive all of our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer your praises. Turn back to God and ask him to forgive you of your sins. And so what is happening is, Hosea is like watching what is happening to the people of Israel. He's like sitting back and he's noticing like all these new patterns that are developing in the culture of his people. And he is watching as they are sort of devolving into chaos as a culture. He's watching them suffer. He's watching their government weaken. He's watching as these enemy armies are sort of plotting against them and about to overtake the kingdom. And he's saying, you guys have to turn back to God. And I don't know, maybe you've had the painful experience of watching someone in your life that you love deeply begin to make a series of decisions that seem to be leading them into a season of chaos. I remember I had a friend of mine who was also uh, uh, in church work in ministry and I remember looking at this person always like with admiration I just thought they are such such talented they are such a talented person 
I felt like uh, if someone was going to be a pastor, they were the type of person that had all the types of gifts and characteristics that you would imagine would be perfect for a pastor. They cared for people. They were thoughtful. They were great communicators. And then um, in this person's life, they went into a season where they had a series of problems. And one problem sort of created a roadblock in their relationship with God and then another problem and another problem And slowly they started drifting away in their relationship. And I remember how painful it was to see like each little step, how further and further they got from that thing that was once a priority in their life. And I remember just like the pain of watching them post these environments that they were a part of that at one time they would have never engaged in. And you could see even on their body how it was beginning to wear them down. And I remember during that time, like all the people who knew them were just praying, God, help them come back to you. God, help this person re-engage in a relationship with you. Whatever was broken, God, help them to, to experience healing in that space. But that was Hosea's cur- encouragement. He was watching these people who were taking steps away from God and watching it destroy their life. And his prayer was, God, let them come back to you. And he says the sin, he uses this powerful word in scripture. He says their sins have brought you down. The word sin is an archery term. And all it means is to miss the mark. And so when God uses the term sin in the Bible, he is referring to all the things that are outside of his best for your life. And I know sometimes, depending on the environment that you grew up in, you might think sin in the Bible is also uh, consistent with the word fun. And so you think God, whenever he talks about sin, he says, I don't want you to have no fun. All right, you can't, hey, don't be having a good time. We want you to have a boring life. That is not God's heart whenever he talks about sin. Whenever God talks about sin, he is talking about things that he knows will destroy you spiritually. That if you engage in for a sustained period of time, no matter how good or shiny it looks like on the outside, he knows that in the end, it will leave you wanting more and leaving you less satisfied than when you began. And so Hosea is observing a culture of people who have just engaged in sin. And that is kind of how it goes for us, right? For most of us, we never do like a 180 of like reading our Bibles, following Jesus, going to church, uh, thinking the right thoughts, right? It's not just about the right behaviors and having the right heart. And then all of a sudden we wake up one day and we said, you know what? I'm just going to live a completely different life. That's not typically how it works. For us, it's just one little compromise after the other. And we know it's a compromise when we start having like this argument with ourselves in our mind about uh, why we think that uh, it is okay for us to engage in a certain activity, right? We start trying to convince ourselves that something that we once thought was not acceptable, why it is now acceptable. And it's just this one little small compromise after the other. Look what Hosea says in verse three, he goes on, he says, Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. Never again will we say to the idols, we have made you our gods. He says, no, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. Hosea just starts going through this laundry list of all these things that the people of Israel had had the habit of turning to instead of him. 
He said, Assyria is not going to save you. For those of you who may have a proclivity to hope in our government as a savior for the people, newsflash, that has never been a, um, a, a, a strong bet to place your money on, okay? Um, he says, it ain't going to be your military might, the preparation of your war horses, and it's not going to be the idols that you have fashioned that can do it. What he said is, it's only me. It is only him. And I don't know if you've ever gotten to that point in your life before, but, but I think that many of us have at different seasons, and if you're in a place like this, perhaps that's been part of your story, but at some point, all of us have to admit that the things that we have been running to to find deep satisfaction in our life eventually do not work. You may realize that no amount of leadership books that you read can change the character in your heart. No amount of YouTube videos, no amount of self-help content, no amount of money or positive thinking or yoga or meditation or exercise can actually bring the sustained deep healing that most of us are trying to experience in our life. And what Jesus is saying, what Hosea is saying is that it is only God. I don't know if you've ever worked on a project at your house and you got like a flathead screwdriver but you need a Phillips screwdriver and you're trying to turn the screw and guess what happens? It don't work, right? It is not effective. Sometimes we are walking through life with a flathead screwdriver trying to undo a Phillips. That's so cheesy. That was a lame example. But you get what I'm saying. All right, sometimes we're bringing a knife to a gunfight. Sometimes we are using temporal things to try to change the eternal things inside of us. But what Hosea is saying is that it is only God. Only God, and only God do the orphans find mercy. But look what it says beginning in chapter four, and this is where God begins to lay out his vision and his hope for the people of Israel. It says, the Lord says that when you confess, then I will heal your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds for you. My anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars in Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees, as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. My people will live again under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. O Israel, stay away from the idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green and all your fruit comes from me. Isn't this so powerful to hear God's vision for your life? He wants nothing but you for you to flourish in this world. He desires that you would succeed and that you would experience victory and that your life would be rooted deeply and full of meaning and that you would flourish in all of your endeavors and that all of his goodness, all of the goodness that you experience in life, he desires that it would come from him. And I love this because these are the words of a loving father, someone who cares deeply for you. I once uh, had a friend, he's still my friend, so it just happened a while ago. We once had a conversation with a friend and we were, we were talking and we were getting deep and it was late at night 
And uh, I think we were hungry, but we just started bearing our souls to one another. And he shared something so powerful with me. And we were just talking about mentorship. I lost my father at a relatively young age. Uh, He had a relationship with his father that uh, didn't promote kind of what, maybe kind of that loving, uh, loving mutual support from one another. And so he, he said, you know, I, I, because of the nature of my relationship with my dad, this is him speaking. He said, I always would look to people who were like my dad's age and I would like long for them to be my father. And he always thought, he said, I'd always felt like I would have a mentor that would take my dad's place. And he said, but then I realized something. He said, you have to pursue a mentor, but a father pursues you. And he said, that's the difference. And when I read this passage, I realize that we all have a heavenly father that pursues us. And you may not have that type of relationship with anyone in this world in terms of earthly father, but the beauty is that we have a heavenly father who thinks about us in that way. That he looks at our life and he desires for us to succeed and to experience goodness. Now notice that in this passage, it didn't say anything about life being easy or life being comfortable or you going on every uh, exotic vacation that you see your friends going on when they post it on social media or on Instagram, okay? It didn't say any of that. But he is talking about a life of human flourishing. He is talking about a life that is not bound by the, sla- the spiritual slavery that sin causes in our life. It's a life of freedom. And this is the deal for all of us to experience that. We need someone like that in our life. And we have that in God. But what Hosea is saying is that you cannot experience that type of blessing outside of a relationship with him. And it's interesting when we think about who God is. Because in some ways, God is like this really inclusive thing. Right, he says no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, no matter what the patterns of your life have been up till this point, you can step into my presence and I promise you, if you do that with an open heart, you will experience healing. He's inclusive. He's inviting everybody into his presence. But in other ways, he's extremely exclusive. Because what he knows is that every other thing that we have been pursuing in life will not bring you the satisfaction that you are longing for. Only he can. Only God can heal the hurt of the soul. Augustine said our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. And so much of the reason why we seem to be struggling with the same things that we've been struggling with for years is because we keep going back to the same sources of slavery in our life. We keep going back to the same environments. We keep going back to the same people. We keep defaulting to the same patterns of life. And so we keep experiencing the same cycle. I had a wrestling coach in college. I like to let people know I wrestle in college because otherwise they may think I've done nothing with my life which, you know, college wrestling wasn't a very good school, so it's still perhaps nothing impressive. But we had good coaches. 
And one of my coaches, he would always say, if you always do what you've always done, you will always get what you always got. We cannot expect a different outcome if we have not been willing to change the source of our struggle. And we have all been there. I imagine that there are some of us that are there right now. We are in a relationship that we know where we have had to compromise our values to be in and this ain't the first time that we've done it and we are realizing that it was a mistake but we are too worried that if we do not engage in this relationship, perhaps we will never find someone and so we have just defaulted to settling for what we have. For others of us, we go through seasons where we feel encouraged, but then we allow for the same old negative voices to creep back into our life. We start putting ourselves around the same critical spirits and the voices of our parents who we could never please start to dominate our thought life. And we get back into like this cycle where we have settled for an old way of life and it's crushing. For some of us, we have allowed for an insatiable pursuit of more to control our finances. And we keep thinking that what we see on Instagram is real happiness. But for some reason, whenever we do what they do, I keep bringing up Instagram. This may be a me thing, okay? Maybe it's a you thing. It may be a me thing. And we think that we're, that we're gonna find happiness and then we do those things and we don't. And it's like, have you guys, when you were a kid, they talked about the gold, like a pot of gold being at the end of the rainbow. Has anyone ever tried to find the end of a rainbow? Okay, when I was young and I didn't know that you couldn't do that, I, I chased down a, a rainbow once. And, uh, and it was pretty disappointing to realize that I was just gonna have to keep running and running and running and I would never really find what I was looking for. That's what a lot of us are doing in life. We're chasing this pot of gold at the end of a rainbow and it don't exist outside of a relationship with Jesus. Someone once said that a nightmare is coming face to face with who you could have been. And I'm not sure if that's true, but this is what I know, is that God has a vision for your life that is so much better than you can imagine. It is so much better than the things that you are striving for. It is so much better than the things that you are worried about. It is so much better than the things that you have allowed anxiety to creep into your heart about. And this is, this is the important part of it, is that God desires that you would live this abundant life. And we said it's not an easy life or a comfortable life, but it is a life that is full of purpose and meaning and satisfaction. But this is the point, okay? I tried to do like a Jedi mind trick. At first I was saying, this is all about you experiencing a good life. But here's, here's the real point of this entire series is that the goodness that God wants for you in your life is part, part of it is what he wants to do in you. But a whole nother part of it is what he wants to do through you. It's what he wants to do through you. Because there is a whole series of people who are connected to you in your life that God wants to use your life to bless. One of the most challenging things for many of us to adopt, I don't think that it's new to our generation, but it's the reality that our life is not about us. You are not the center of this story. The Bible tells us that God is 
And I understand how maybe that may be an offensive statement to some of, some of us, but I promise you, if you can adopt that truth, it will release a whole weight of tension in your life that you were actually never meant to carry. One time in third grade, maybe it was fourth grade, I was uh, giving a presentation on uh, JFK. It was like this president's report. And I got dressed up, and part of the preparation of all this was like you had to look like the person that you were presenting on, and I got an A plus on that, okay? That would be messed up if like I brought the best clothes that I could get, and my teacher still gave me an F, so I think she, gave, she still gave everybody an A on that part of the project. But that was like 5% of what we were supposed to do. The other part was we were actually supposed to research the person that we were presenting on, okay? So this gives you an idea of my level of competency at that age or any other age in my life, quite frankly. So I got dressed up, stood in front of the class, and I stood there for about 30 seconds, felt like 30 minutes, and uh, I had almost nothing to say about JFK. I just stood there, and my teacher made me stay there, and the kids asked a few questions of which I had no idea to the answers of those things. And do you know what the reality was? Is I had no business standing in front of a class of people teaching them about John F. Kennedy, all right? It was not uh, a, a place of personal expertise in my life. And I didn't wanna be there. And what the Bible tells us is that we are not the center of this world. And the sooner that we can adopt that truth, the sooner that we begin to experience all the promises that God intended for us to experience because what happens is when we take ourselves out of the place of priority, it leaves space for us to put God in that place of priority and that is the right order. That is where all the puzzle pieces start to fit in our life when God is at the center of it. Remember, God did not promise a perfect life or an easy life. But he does promise that you can have a life of meaning and influence and purpose. And so many of us are striving for happiness in all the wrong places. And I think that some of us are just getting more and more tired, more and more worn out, more and more discouraged more and more hopeless about the future, believing that anything could even change. And like Hosea told the people of Israel, he's saying, go back, go back to God. And the beauty of it is that he will not just bless your life, but he will use what he is doing in you to bless the lives of people all around you. I think about a few of the youth leaders when I was coming up in church and they would have like this early morning Bible study before the service was even going on and there were like only three or four of us but they would just go through like this inductive way of learning how to read the Bible and they just taught me week after week, little by little, how do you read the Bible? You look at the passage, you evaluate it, then you apply it, simple principles and it was just showing up week after week and I think I would have never made it to that space if it weren't for a guy named Reed because Reed would pick me and my brother up every Sunday just so that we could go to church a little bit early. And the only reason why Reed did that for us is because someone else did that for him. 
And he experienced God's goodness in his life. And he said, I am going to let what changed me and the influences in my life, I'm going to let that pour out into other people's lives. The goodness that he has for you, I promise, will trickle out into other people's lives. Over the next month or so, you'll notice we have this tent out in front of the steps of the church and we're calling it Next Gen Heroes. And I think that's a pretty cool campaign name. But for the next month or so, we're, we're just saying, how can we leverage what God has done in the lives of the people of this community to begin pouring into the lives of our children? And there are so many opportunities and we know that God, for so many of us, really came into our lives when we were coming up as little kids. And we had other people planting little seeds in our hearts that stuck with us over the course of our life. And what we're offering to you is the same opportunity to begin pouring back into some other little kid's life. A child that may not have a parent who knows how to pour into them spiritually. They can come into a place like this church and experience God's goodness, not because their parents are here, but because we have other people who are willing to do it, to fill in the gap in that child's life. And so we're gonna be recruiting for that. And when you realize that God wants to use your life for other people, you realize that so much hangs in the balance of your faithfulness, your willingness. It's not your ability. God don't care about your ability. He cares about whether or not you are willing to make yourself available to what he has for you. And I just believe we are, we are in a time where as a church, we are praying for revival in our city. But the problem is, is that if the church doesn't get right with God, then what hope do we have of seeing revival in our land? If the church won't get on our knees and pray for the spirit to move, what hope do we have to influence others around us and bring hope into our city? If the church is unwilling to give testimony about what God has done in our lives to the people around us, what hope do we have? What hope do we have? If the church at times is not willing to do the hard thing or to sacrifice or to give up some of our comforts or our conveniences of this world, what hope does the world have? The Bible tells us that we are the light of the world. We are the hope of the world, the church, the local church. And we have this great calling on our life and a great opportunity. Just this other week, I was talking to a friend. I'd known him for several years. We actually met at Oktoberfest several years ago when our church had a booth out there. We were handing out stuff and we got into a relationship. And, and, and over the years, we, I've really got to see how God has been working in his life because when, he first was, when we first met, he was on this journey. He was exploring Buddhism. He was exploring Eastern meditation. He was exploring sort of new age outlets for connection to the spiritual life and Christianity was also something else that he was experiencing. And then he had this supernatural encounter with God. And he said in one moment, it changed everything for him. It changed his heart. And in an instant, he said, he said, all the stuff that I was doing before I realized could never lead me to where I wanted to go because everything I was doing was making me look at myself. He said, but when I encountered God, it took my eyes off of me and it put it on him. And everything changed. 
And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for a fresh start in this season. I'm ready for a fresh move of God's spirit in my life. I'm ready to walk away from old patterns and old habits so that I could actually start experiencing the type of life that God promised we could. And this is what he says. Going back to verse two, he says, bring your confessions and return to the Lord and say to him, forgive all of our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. This morning, we're gonna give you an opportunity to do that. And I just wanna ask one question. What would keep you from getting right with God? What would keep you from stepping in to the types of promises that God longs for you to experience in your life, the type of freedom that he wants for you, the type of encouragement, encouragement that he wants for you, for you. If that's you today, I wanna lead us in a simple prayer. I'm gonna ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And if today you're ready to step into that, that fresh life with God, if you're ready to move out of the old patterns I wanna encourage you to pray this simple prayer after me in your heart. And there's absolutely nothing special about the particular words that we use, but it's whether or not these words reflect the desire of your heart. If that's you, you can repeat after me, dear God, thank you for loving me and for pursuing me and for never giving up on the vision you have for my life. I know that I have put other priorities before you. And today I admit that they do not satisfy the longing in my soul. Today I am ready to trust that you love me enough to sacrifice your son so that I could experience freedom from my past. Today, I'm re ready to receive your love. Today, I'm ready to step into faith for the first time and experience the promise that you have for my life. God, I pray that you would give me the strength to follow you in the days to come. In Jesus' name. I believe. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And I want to encourage those of you who prayed that prayer in your heart just to take one more step of faith this morning. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. And we challenge this on the front end of a person's journey because what we know is that when you respond physically to what God is doing spiritually in your life, it solidifies a moment and there's some of us today that need a fresh start. There's some of us that need to take a stand to say, I'm ready to identify, identify my life with Jesus. And so on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. One, you are so loved by God. Two, you have never been alone for one moment in your life. Three, go ahead and raise your hand this morning. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Any others? Any others?
If you're tuning in online, I want to encourage you just to hit the comment section of the screen. We have someone hosting the uh, service and then I know they'd love to help get you connected to some resources. If you just let them know that you've made that decision, they'd love to link you up. God, I thank you for every, every person in this room. I thank you for the power of your promises in our life. And Lord, I know that, Lord, all of us go through seasons where we have wandered and we have searched for other things and we have come up wanting more. But I pray that today, God, would be the beginning of a brand new start for some. I pray that, God, we would begin to live our lives as though you have a promise for us. And I pray that, God, our lives wouldn't be about us, but it would be about what you intend to do through us and the lives that you will use our life to impact. God, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, will you do me a favor this morning? Can we take a moment and celebrate every life that stepped into faith for the first time?